The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Anakavata Sankara Upada Domino Upakita Varunu Shanti Tasam Vupasamos Sukho All things are impermanent, they arise and pass away. Having arisen, they come to an end. Their coming to peace is bliss. This is a a Buddhist chant around the subject of death and life. And it's really about change, the law of change, the fact that change happens. And we don't get to choose it. It just happens. I have, uh, I have a grandson named Duncan, who's two years old. But Duncan is a real blessing in my life because I never had children. But... I married a man who did have children, and now one of his child has had one of his children has had two grandsons, and they bless my life. I think grandchildren are the best thing that were ever invented. <clears throat> grandchildren really are about creating delight in life. He can also be very frustrating, this two-year-old. Those of you who have had experiences with two-year-olds probably know what I'm talking about. So this last weekend, he was with my husband and I for the weekend, and I discovered that he's discovered the question, why? <laughs> I thought that didn't happen until you were four, so is what I know. So, so it's a verbal trick with him. Every time he, he sees it as a way to continue the conversation, right? So he's... he's He is only two, right? So he needs a trick, and his trick is why. So sometimes it's really easy. It will be, look, the chipmunk is running. Why? Because he's going after the birdseed. Why? Because he's hungry. Why? So pretty soon what happens, actually, not deliberately on his part, but because of the way I'm so eager to answer his question, we very soon get to existential questions, you know, like why do people eat? And why do people not want to die? And why are people hurt? Or why are the animals hurt? Or why don't those birds let the chipmunks have the bird seed? Or, you know, pretty soon you get to questions that are actually kind of tricky. And so what do you do with those questions, you know? This why, why, why? And what it did in me was start me asking why questions. You know, why? Why is this happening? Why is this true? And, you know, is this really true? Now, I've come to realize that Duncan doesn't really have a high standard for what my answers are. Mostly what he requires is an answer. But sometimes, because I get stuck, I'll stop, and I'll just not answer the last why. And he'll say, more, which shows quite a grasp, actually. 
that he realizes I've stopped asking his questions and he doesn't want me to stop answering those questions. So now we're on to more. I want more. I want it just the way we had it. it. I was quite happy with that. And I'm sorry if you're not happy with that. I want more. You know, so sometimes I just get to the point where I say, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <clears throat> Which is kind of a way of stepping out of being responsible for his more. The other thing that, that he says, if, if he doesn't like the answer, is he'll move right on to no. Or if he's busy doing something that he likes doing, or even if he doesn't like doing it, if I say, okay, now we're going to go do this, he says, no. And it's not because he doesn't necessarily want to do it. It's because he feels like he's lost control of the situation. No. So his way of exerting control is to say no. Let's eat now. No. How about a banana? Nana! (laughs) It isn't about what he wants. But these responses of why more and no really have a lot to do with how we live our lives and about how we experience grief. Why? I want more of what I've just lost. No, you can't take it away from me. No, it didn't really happen. No, it can't be true. It can't can't be true. We We look for control over our lives. And we think, because we have plans for our lives, that this represents some kind of control. And when things don't go according to our plan, we've lost control. But we never actually had control. It was just the way we ordered our lives. It was our plan. And that plan got interrupted. And we look for meaning. That's what what the why is. Why? There must be a meaning that this has happened. And there's a cause. And we establish fault and blame. This was my fault. If I had just been... If I could have just done... This wouldn't have happened. As if we could control the outcome of everything in life. We're so sure of that. Despite all evidence to the contrary, we're sure that we can control what happens in our lives. If I had managed this differently, I wouldn't be feeling this pain. I'm never going to love again. That'll fix it. I'll never have to love again. And then I don't feel the pain of loss. Or we come up with alternatives, you know, alternatives to what could have happened instead of this happening. You know, if if I had done this, then this would have been the outcome. Or we cling to why not? Why not? Why can't I have it the same way? Surely, surely this can all work out. Surely. Despite the evidence of what's true, we take, we take blame for our own sorrow, for our own loss. And true, some things, sometimes we do things that cause us to lose things, to lose people. But usually what we're doing is heaping on a lot of extra stuff to our loss. Oh, my, that was frightening. That was me, sorry about that. 
I don't know what I did, unfortunately, so hopefully I won't do it again. So we humans tend to resist change like that. I don't like the unexpected. Do you like the unexpected? I mean, sometimes it's, it's enjoyable, something totally unexpected, like a beautiful sunset that we weren't looking for, and it's so lovely. But usually when there's a surprise, we don't like it. It's like Duncan saying, no, no, I don't, I don't want a surprise because I don't have surprises in my plan. I don't have surprises there. There's comfort in knowing what to expect. You know? We live in a very complex world. There's comfort in knowing I'm going to come home and my husband's going to be there. There's comfort even if all I do is go home and fight with him. It's something I know. My husband, by the way, is not a fighter, so that doesn't happen. (laughs) But we want things to be the way we want them. This is part of being human. We want things to be the way we want them. And when they aren't, it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. And we find ourselves saying why and no. We don't want what we hadn't planned on. We don't want to be hurt. We want to be loved. And we want all those people we love to be around us. That's what we want. And we demand that other people conform to our wishes and needs. My husband does this wonderful thing for me. Every morning he makes me coffee. And I am very grateful. It is such a sweet gesture. And anytime he doesn't, I'm incredibly resentful. (laughs) Because I've grown used to it. I expect it now. And I remind myself he has no obligation. And thank God he occasionally does not bring me coffee so that I truly remember what a gift it is that he brings me coffee every morning. You know, sometimes losing something is an opportunity to remember what is precious in our lives and what we're grateful for. Part of this wanting things to be the way we want them and to uh, not engage the turmoil of things not being the way they have been has to do with refusing to acknowledge that things have actually changed. So if my husband continues bringing me coffee every morning and he resents it, you know, the coffee is just not going to taste the same. So maybe those mornings when he doesn't bring the coffee, it's because he'd rather not bring the coffee than resent my expectation of the coffee. Who knows? We don't spend a lot of time talking about coffee. This is just an example. But this is how, this is how we are in life, you know? Sometimes things change and we don't recognize that they've changed until something really catastrophic happens and then we say, oh my God. You know, this is how it is with old age. <laughs> I can tell you I still think of myself as a lot younger than I am, but this, you know, there are certain realities that have set in. And I no longer have the capacities I used to have. I just don't. You know, we talk about being confused. Um, it's just not the same as it was. 
so we cling to what's no longer true. We cling to what makes us happy and recoil from the things that don't make us happy. The inevitability of change is something that we know, but we don't always live like we know it. uh, I, I mentioned this morning something that Jennifer had said to me earlier in this week about the loss of denial. We have the ability to tell ourselves something is true for really a long time when it is no longer true. It may have been true at one time. Maybe it was never true. But we're really stuck with it. We have these stories that we tell ourselves about what's true. And then it comes to the day when we can no longer pretend that it's true. When it becomes very obvious, this is no longer true. This is no longer true. And that's real loss. When we finally see, this is just no longer true. I am no longer a married woman. Or, I am no longer the mother of this child Or, I am no longer this person who enjoyed this role or this act. This is just no longer true. And one day we wake up and look at that, and we can say, okay, I get it. I get it. This is no longer true. And sometimes we look at it and we say, okay, it's no longer true, but I don't want to believe it. And we we move away from it, because that's all we can do at the time. It's all we can do at the time. When I first took up meditation, I adopted as a goal to be open-hearted. That was harder than you know for me at that time, to be open-hearted. I didn't think I could ever do that. I was a very, very, very closed person. And to get to the point where I could allow myself to be open took a lot of approaches and retreats before I could do that. And still sometimes I have to remind myself what happened to that goal of being open-hearted. You know, I'm thinking kind thoughts about the person whose alarm is going off. Really, it must be painful for them to have an alarm going off. (laughs) But this loss of deniability can be really, really hard. You know, I can no longer deny that this is true. All things are impermanent. I know all things are impermanent. And I don't like it all the time. I just don't like it all the time. I don't get to choose which things are impermanent. You know, I can think of some things I'd like to have impermanent. But I don't get to choose All things change. Everything changes and is therefore transitory. So you'd think we'd be used to it, you know? I have this, um, this calligraphy on a piece of really beautiful paper that I keep in uh, a cabinet at home. It's the cabinet that I keep some very nice wine glasses in. And on that piece, on that piece of paper, it says... <clears throat> This glass, I know that this glass is already broken, and therefore I enjoy it immensely. 
And you know what? It actually works. For a long time, I wouldn't use those glasses because I was afraid of breaking them. But now, now that I accept the fact that they're, in fact, already broken, that piece of paper has become a big joke in our house. And we pull it out every time we have a guest who breaks a glass. We laugh and we celebrate that we get to do this. And I'm much easier about those glasses. The practice of reminding myself they are already broken has made me very easy about those glasses. Not so much other things in my life. It's not like it's a magic trick that makes me accept all change. But if I can accept that, if I can accept the inevitability of that change, I become more resilient and more able to accept the inevitability of all change. That's just how it works. So, so I love that piece of paper, and I'd hate to lose that piece of paper, but if I lost that piece of paper, I have to admit it's just a piece of paper. And probably I don't need that piece of paper anymore. It's just a piece of paper. Now, it's hard to say that a person is just a person, a person that you've lost or the identity that you've lost. The just sounds a little demeaning. I love my husband very much, but there will be a day when I have to say goodbye. If for no other reason, because one or the other of us will die. Or both. This is inevitable. So I enjoy him immensely, just like that piece of paper says. That's not true of everyone in my life. But the nice thing about change is that change also brings in some of what we talked about this morning. Positive things also happen, you know. If there was no change, we'd never get up in the morning. There are lots of reasons for not getting up in the morning. But we get up, we speak, we move. This is movement through the air. These are things that are changing. It's just that I think I know how they're going to change. (laughs) And that's not true. So uh, I lost my brother last, not quite a year ago, suddenly in an auto accident. This was a younger brother. And it's a brother I haven't spoken to for over 10 years. And I guess I always thought that I'd be able to work it out with him sometime. We'd have, you know, he would change and I'd be able to have a conversation with him, right? He would change. Well, that's never going to happen. So now what has to happen is the only way for that to be repaired is in my own heart, which is where it needed to be repaired anyway in my own heart. So now I have a little piece of paper on an altar at home that has his name on it, which I can assure you I never would have done before. But I'm thinking about it now and realizing the only place to reconcile with my brother now is in me. Because that has changed irretrievably. When we're faced with loss and sorrow, what we want to do is fix it. 
We want to untangle it. We want to know how to, how to make it go away. Right? We get kind of hung up on that. And so sometimes we deny what's going on. The people around us t- deny it. You know, they pretend it didn't happen. Or, well, you're over this by now, I'm sure. Aren't you over this? Or we say to ourselves, well, I'm over it now. You know, I'm, I've, I've got it together now. I'm, I'm really not affected by this anymore. And then we see a picture or we smell a smell or we hear a song and it's all over. It's back. And sometimes it's back with a virulence. And over time, that tends to lessen. That's kind of what we notice. But, you know, my mother died, I've forgotten how many years ago now, maybe, oh, 43 years ago my mother died. No, longer ago than that. I've forgotten. 50 years ago my mother died. And I still sometimes remember, oh, oh. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad I still have that connection with her. It doesn't hurt as much as it did. But the grief still gives me a connection to that person that was my mother. And I think that's pretty cool. I'd hate to lose that. I like that. I like having that. You know, what we hope for in our lives is to develop some wisdom around the pains and losses in life. And we don't... What's wise for me may not be wise for you. What's wise for you may not be wise for me. You know, what's the best thing? What, what is skillful for you in dealing with loss? Pretty much for both of us, what's true is to see things as close as we can to how they really are. What's really going on here? Not the story I have about it. You know? I might say, I lost my job because they got rid of that program. It wasn't my fault. Or I might say, well, they got rid of me because I failed to deliver when they really were just getting rid of the program. But we, we create stories around what happens, you know? I got divorced <clears throat> a, long, a long time ago from someone, and I felt incredibly uh, guilty about that that I had failed him in some fundamental way. And it took me probably 20 years to realize that he left me because of him and not because of me. It had to do with him. Which didn't mean that I was a perfect person. It only meant that for me to take on the blame that I could have saved this marriage if I had been different was just not paying attention to what was true what was true about what was going on. Because we have, we have stories. We have ways that we create meaning around our lives. And the, the real trick is to see what's really true. So how, so how do we do that? I love watching the ocean. I love the ocean. The waves come in and they go out. And it's never the same. Each wave is a little different. But I'm always pretty sure the next one's going to come in. And then it's going to go back out. 
But what's different about each wave is really seeing that wave. And some of them are large, and some of them are small, and some of them kind of creep up, and some of them are all of a sudden. And I realized that that's where the real power of the ocean is. Not so much that it keeps coming and going and coming and going, but it is in fact so dynamic. It's so different. And that to connect with the ocean, I really need to see what's different. And that's true about my life. The way that I can see my life has to have that element in it. You know, when you look back on something, you can see something that you couldn't see when it was right up close to you. The, the inevitable change that occurs in our lives, sometimes a loss will seem very sudden. But change is actually very gradual. And we can't always see it. So sometimes it helps to just ask, what's really going on here? What's really happening? What am I really feeling? As opposed to, I think I know what I'm feeling. Well, I'm feeling sad. Oh, am I feeling sad? Am I feeling lost? Am I feeling hopeless? Am I, am I depressed? Am I experiencing blame? No, really, ask yourself. Don't, don't settle for the first answer. Because it's in that detail of how, how you're really experiencing what you're experiencing that you can find the truth of how things really are. So I might spend a very long time blaming myself for something. Well, you know, this has happened because I did this thing. And if you test this, you'll find out this is true. I said to my husband, you know, okay, I'm really sorry I did that thing. And he said, what thing? I said, well, I know you're reacting this way because I did that thing. And he said, I didn't see you do that thing. (laughs) And then I have to say, oh, what's going on with you? And it turns out, you know, he's puzzling over something. Had nothing to do with me. And I was blaming me. This happens. This happens. I remember you said, three weeks ago, you said X. I don't remember saying that. And I'm stewing over it. This is particularly difficult if someone has died and we're sure they said something to us that is unresolved. It's only in our own hearts and minds. It's only in our own hearts and minds. But we don't know that if we don't notice it and see, see what's really true. So ask yourself, what's here? What's here? Is there something I'm holding on to? Some memory. You know, very often we think we're holding on to pleasant memories and we're really turning them into not-so-pleasant memories. We can do this really easily. So I'm going to read you a poem. This is called This Much I Do Remember. It's by Billy Collins. It was after dinner. You were talking to me across the table about something or other, 
a greyhound you had seen that day or a song you liked. And I was looking past you over your bare shoulder at the three oranges lying on the kitchen counter. Next to the small electric bean grinder, which was also orange, and the orange and white cruets for vinegar and oil, all of which converged into a random still life so fastened together by the hasp of color and so fixed behind the animated foreground of your talking and smiling, gesturing and pouring wine and the camber of your shoulders that I could feel it being painted within me, brushed on the wall of my skull while the tone of your voice lifted and fell on its flight and the oranges remained fixed on the counter the way stars are said to be fixed in the universe. I like that poem because it is so clearly just a static memory. That thing, oh, I remember that. We have a choice about what we remember about that. Maybe I remember that, and what I say is, oh, we were better then. Or maybe I remember that, and I remember how peaceful I was at that moment, and I say, oh, I'll never have that again. Or maybe I remember how peaceful I was at that moment, and it just makes me smile, and I connect right now here, this moment, with that smile. And all of those are different experiences of that memory. Notice. Notice what you do with your memories. You know, you can have something that you remember that, that causes you to feel a sense of loss, or you can take from it a piece of joy that you recall about that loss. Not the loss itself, but that stays with you, some piece of peace. So I'm not telling you to do that. It's not something you do. It's something you notice. Oh, oh, look at that. Sometimes the memory can be, oh, you know, that reminds me how gentle that person was. That gentleness, oh, yeah. Or I might remember, oh, they were really funny. That was funny. Or I remember, oh, they could be so vicious. And I feel like I've missed, you know, a snowball. I think the snowball came up because it's warm in here. So we can't change the events of our lives. We can't change the memories. But we can be aware of how we're experiencing them and what stories we're telling around them that are influencing what comes next. Notice what your stories are. Notice what your stories are. Don't be so sure that you know what's true. Don't be sure. The way you felt yesterday is not the way you feel today. But you can say, oh yeah, I feel the way I felt yesterday. Oh, I, I feel this coming on. I know what it is. Don't be sure. Maybe today, what you experienced yesterday as guilt, today might be confusion. Well, maybe that wasn't so bad. 
or what you experienced yesterday was a sense of loss, and today you're feeling a sense of relief or release. But if, if you believe you should feel a certain way, pretty soon you're feeling that way. So give yourself the opportunity to experience something freshly. When you see it, say, what am I experiencing? What is this? What is this? Just be curious. That's all it takes. It doesn't take changing you. Just be curious. And notice change. Notice the change. You know, when we're lost in the cloudiness of grief, it's a, there's, there's a murkiness. Some of that came out this morning. And, and it's, it's sometimes like being underwater. You know, you're underwater and you can't really... You're feeling kind of loggy and drugged down and movement is slow and uh, you can't really see. You know, you kind of open your eyes under the water and you can't really see. You can't see your way forward. You can't see where you are. But if you had a snorkel mask and could see a little more clearly, some of that feeling out of control in the water is gone, you know. Some of the changes, if you can just see better where you are. Where am I? See a little better. When I mean, you wake up in the morning, sometimes you, you know, we're really fuzzy and you can't really see, and then you rub your eyes and everything's a little more clear. That's what it's like when you really see, when you ask, what else is happening? What else is happening? Okay, this is true, but what else is happening? So they get, get closer to what's true for you. Or maybe what's absent. Ask yourself what's absent. I don't have any energy. Oh, energy. Lacking energy. Huh. So maybe it's not sadness, maybe it's energy. Maybe they're related, maybe they're not. So there's some questions that you can ask yourself. I'm going to go through a string of questions here. See if there's anything, anything that you can connect with. So, hmm, Do I feel guilty? How am I connecting with guilt? Do I need to do something about guilt? Do I feel guilty about being guilty? Do I feel guilty because I don't feel guilty? What does it mean to let go? How is that different than pushing it away? You know, we talk a lot about just letting things go. Let it go, let it go. I like to have the image of an open hand. When I'm holding on to something, I've got it in a grip, and my hand is really hard, and I've got a fist, and it's really easy to generate a lot of intensity and anger and anxiety. I'm holding on to it so tightly. And if I open it up, a lot of that tension is gone. I'm not doing this. If I'm pushing it away, I'm reintroducing tension. But if I'm just, oh, there it is, I'm looking at it. Now it's free to do whatever, and I'm free to do whatever. Now that's more like letting go. That's just... There it is. 
I admit that it is there. I'm cranky today. I'm angry today. I'm irritated in this moment. Maybe I don't want to be irritated, but I have to see it. I have to see it. I'm afraid right now. I shouldn't be afraid. Well, I am afraid. Okay, see it. See it. That's letting go. That's letting it come up just as it is. What roles, masks, identities have you assumed? Maybe they've been taken away from you. I'm no longer what I was. Oh, who am I? Am I comfortable having lost that role? Do I want another role to put in the place of it right now? I need another role. i got to put on another identity right now. Can I just let that be okay for right now, that I don't have that identity? See what, see what happens. Is there anything that calls, calls for forgiveness or reparation? Is that affecting how I'm feeling right now? Do I need to forgive myself? Can I do that? How do I do that? How do I forgive myself? How do I say, I'm sorry for all the harm I've done to myself? You know, I was on a long retreat one time, and I discovered something that was a life habit with me. And... Um, I was really quite shocked. It was a very good coping strategy. Uh, I had to be the, uh, the person in the room with all the answers. I was a very, very high control person, and I did a really good job of it. It was a great coping strategy, and it made me and a lot of other people very miserable. But it took me a long time to actually see that and to recognize that in myself. And for, for, I cried the rest of the retreat. Three weeks of crying. For all the sadness that I had created in my life and other people's lives. For something that wasn't a bad thing. It's not that I was a bad person. It just was hurtful. And I couldn't see it until that moment. I still have to remind myself, you know, that doesn't have to be said. The world will not end if you don't say that. The world won't end if somebody does it differently. It doesn't matter if you have a better idea. Really, it doesn't matter. But I had to see that. I had to get slammed with the, the realization that my story was causing me to be unhappy before I could do that. Do you struggle with fear in your relationships? You know, I'm so afraid that people are going to not like me that I don't even tell them how I feel. Or I'm afraid that they're going to run away from me so I, you know, I behave a certain way. Or, I mean, you name it. There are all kinds of ways that we have fear. I'm, I am simply, 
I can know, I know how to just smile. I can go into a room and smile and carry on a conversation and never get more than skin deep because if I do, then I'm vulnerable. Do I have fears about vulnerability? Is it the same as yesterday? Is it the same as a year ago? Am I assuming that it's the same as a year ago? Or is this how I feel now? I'm a strong person. I'm going to be better. We don't know. Ask yourself what happens. Because what you experience sets up the conditions for the next moment. So if I decide this is the way I am, this is the way I am, then I'm always the way I am, right? But if I allow for the possibility that this is not the way I am, the next moment doesn't have to follow from this. If I decide I've totally screwed up my life and there's no hope, I don't have much hope. But if I'm able to say, yeah, that was really a bad thing I did, not going to do that again, there's still hope. Be careful of your stories. Try to see things just as they are. And pay close attention to your intention. The intentions you had this morning, think about them once in a while. Ask yourself how they're changing. Because they're changing. What is my intention? What's my intention? Oh, you know, this doesn't line up with my intention. Huh. Hmm, I have to think about that. Intention leads to what we notice in the world. And that's a way of assigning meaning. So the why, why, the meaning is closely associated with that intention. Closely associated with the stories we tell ourselves about what our expectations are. And the story we tell ourselves about what's true. So here's a quote for you from Jack Cornfield. He said, True peace comes with the discovery that we can respect the seasons of life with a spacious and undefended heart. In it, we learn to trust, to rest in the truth of the way things are, to willingly accept the measure of joy and sorrow we are given. True peace comes with the discovery that we can respect the seasons of life with a spacious and undefended heart. In it, we learn to trust, to rest in the truth of the way things are, to willingly accept the measure of joy and sorrow we are given. So I'll leave you with this. I dislike leave-takings. They are so inflexible. To stop one thing and begin another, as if life was a series of points or chips to be used up and discarded, instead of the water that flows between. I am leaking, but I refuse to mourn. 
The sieve doesn't so much lose water as feel it passing through. I have felt you, and some of that joy clings to the places we met with love. Thank you. So those are some of my thoughts. I would like to invite you to make comments, ask questions, disagree. You're free to do that. (laughs) And we have microphones. And they both work. (laughs) This one's not working. (laughs) So much for that. You know, I hate the unexpected. If it's green, it's on. Uh, My question has to do with intentionality and intention. Mm -hmm. And you said something about um, my intention. What is my intention? And intention governs what we notice in the world. And then you said something about our intention today may not be the same as our intention yesterday. Um, I'm struggling even with the question, but this is very important to me because I'm really, you know, paying attention to this right now. And, um, well, okay, I think this is what it is. It's going to sound crazy, but we're talking about intentionality and intention. Um, I mean, do you sort of get up the next day and decide, oh, I have changed my intention. I mean, intention, though, even the word sort of implies um, control or something or a decision. Yeah, a decision. So uh, I'm getting a little confused, uh, confusing myself, and I was wondering if you could make a few comments. I'm not even sure I've asked the question. But. No, I get it. I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. So I think I hear what you're saying. So let me be, let me be a little careful about that. So, <clears throat> so I have some global intentions, like the intention of open-heartedness is a global intention. It's not a goal in the sense that someday I'm going to reach some place where I've accomplished that goal. So this global intention of open-heartedness is something that I remind myself of every day. It's, it's an aspiration, an intention as an aspiration. There are other intentions that have to do with um, more specific things that I might want to do. So I may have the intention. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a neighbor with whom I had uh, a disagreement over her putting this shiny aluminum uh, uh, trailer in my viewscape. I did not move out there to watch somebody's trailer, but she decided that she needed this trailer and she put it right in this place that was where I looked out on in the morning when I woke up, which was one of my favorite things. So uh, we, we had a falling out over this, and I developed an intention to repair that relationship. Okay? That intention is consistent with the larger intention of open-heartedness. Now, maybe my intention started out as, I'm going to repair that relationship. 
The next day I got up and I realized that that was going to be tough because it was going to take two of us to do that. So I revised that intention, and the intention was I was not going to hold ill will against her. Okay? So it was a different intention, and that difference changes my... Uh, in the first case, it was I was going to fix something, and in the second case, I was fixing myself. I was changing the way I approached that relationship. It was more skillful, the second intention, than the first intention. The intention to fix was good, but it turns out the more skillful thing was to let go of the ill will in my own heart first. So it changed. So that's an example of how intention might change. Uh, there are lots of, there, there, there are smaller kinds of things that are different. But the real advantage of checking what is my intention is when I, when I looked at that intention of, I'm going to fix this, I recognized that there was uh, a lot of control there, and I was going to manipulate things to be a certain way. And the second intention had more to do with allowing things to be a certain way, and that that was more skillful. And if I had just stuck with this, I'm going to fix it, I could have been running around with a lot of ill will for a long time. It was a good intention. This was a better one. Okay? Does that help? Good. Yes, behind you. Okay. Um... I find that answer um, really speaking to me. I just returned from a trip uh, to visit with family for a couple of weeks, and um, my sister's boyfriend of many years is a really strong gun advocate, and... Uh, uh, I found myself, uh, when he tried to disparage Obama for a stand that he was taking, um, I just really lost control and uh, was screaming at him, basically. Um, and part of my background is I worked as a pediatrics ICU nurse. so. I saw very clearly what bullets could do in the body of a child. And uh, so even as we, even as I talk about this, I could feel um, the anger in me. Um, so I just recognize that there's an opportunity there to look at, um, I, I don't think there's, I know the desire is really strong to change him, but, or his views, but really the work is within me. Thank you. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
Yes. Some people are using the hearing systems. I, um, <clears throat> I lost my brother about six months ago, and uh, it was also my best friend. And um, I'm not, um, I, I have a few, some unresolved emotions around that situation, but they're not real heavy duty. The real heavy duty stuff is I just feel, I just plain feel crummy. And um, it's, and, and not able to, the, I, I know there's a protective part of my mind that doesn't let me absorb the whole thing, so I can talk about it, and it still is a lot of stuff that, that my mind has kept away, so that's that's helpful. But um, it's just dealing with feeling bad, and I'm a, I'm really I've had a lot of problems with depression over the years, so that just compounds the whole thing, and. Uh, so I don't know any thoughts you had on that. You know, um, when uh, my mother and daughter died about oh a year and a few months ago, and I was very attached to her, and I discovered and and I went through her death with her. I was with her and held her hand, and in the last four days, I've really never left her side. And that death affected me in a very visceral way. Physically, it affected me. I uh, was, was really dislocated. It was very dislocating, that, the whole effect of her. And it was that way for a while. And I kept saying, you know, I'm supposed to understand this stuff, right? But it doesn't change the fact that, that this loss was very real and affected me in a, in a physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual way. And what I did was I, I realized there were, there were all sorts of conditions around knowing her in my life that came up for me in terms of what else was happening in my life. And it was very absorbing. And so I decided to try to think about what about her death was affecting me so strongly. Why was this death different than other deaths I knew about? What, what was the connection that I was grieving? And the usefulness of that was for me to see all of the things about her that were important to me. I saw connections I hadn't seen before, that I wasn't totally aware of before, by just asking, what am I missing? What am I feeling? Because otherwise I kind of got lost in that sense of of being overwhelmed. I got lost in my own feelings. You know, just that sense of being drowned by my feelings. And so I tried to find something specific that I could look at. Oh, this. 
oh this, oh this. Now this is 18 months later, and, uh, you know, I go through all the things that we talked about this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you weren't able to hear some of those, but, but, but we, you know, I, I'll, I'll think of her. I'll, I'll be taking something out of the dishwasher, and I'll remember that she said, oh, I'm so pleased with the way the two of you do this in the kitchen, you know. I'll remember that, and I have a choice of how I'm going to respond to that memory, and it just makes me smile. At the time, I found it irritating, by the way. (laughs) But now, I find it endearing because it's something I miss. Because I recognize that that connection is what I lost. And every time I remember that connection, I experience a little piece of joy. And I do that rather than concentrating on Oh, I'll never, I'll never hear her say that again. You see, it's sort of, it, it isn't so much that I'm changing as it is that I'm, because I'm focusing on the particular thing and not adding it to the big story, then I'm not making the story bigger, but I'm making that direct experience a little bigger. I'm looking just at that. Oh, oh. So it's kind of a breaking it down into pieces. It's a coping strategy. But it's also about what's happening here instead of what I think about what's happening here. So it's looking at the direct experience and not adding it to a story. So maybe that will help. Um, Yeah. That's what I said. So it sort of means looking at or enjoying or respecting what happened and not interpreting it? Does it kind of mean that? Yeah, it kind of means that. It has to do with rather than saying this is what this means, just focusing on what it is. Thank you. And I wanted to add that um, uh, something that's helped me a lot in the last year is just letting, inviting the feelings that are so bad to just come. And uh, it's hard to do when you're, you know, just trying to live your life. Uh, Sometimes it's just not the right time or it just doesn't work. But um, sometimes it does. And especially when it does work for me, when I'm in meditation posture and and I feel that, impingement of the really rotten, you know, got to cry type of thing. I just let it come over me. And uh, just a few minutes of that will just uh, free me up for a day. That's, that's really great. Thank you for that. You know, the, there is a, a great virtue in acknowledging this is what's true. This is just what's true. And in a time like when you're meditating is a very safe very safe. You can you can be as vulnerable as, as you want to be, and, and that's that's another very useful thing to understand, 
is that there are times when being vulnerable is just the best thing you could do for yourself. Just absolutely the best. And maybe creating times for that to happen can be very valuable. That's the, it, it never helps to pretend that it's not true. And sometimes it works better in a group meditation because everything is just sort of there and you're supported. And other times it doesn't work there, but when I'm alone and I'm feeling rotten and just go and sit on, you know, I have a place to sit at home and let it happen. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yes. You want me to repeat that? Sure. True peace comes with the discovery that we can respect the seasons of life with a spacious and undefended heart. In it, we learn to trust, to rest in the truth of the way things are, to willingly accept the measure of joy and sorrow we are given. If you need to look at it again, I can just give this to you to copy. Okay. I think that's a good place to close. If there's nothing else compelling, then I think we'll just take maybe just a five-minute break. Does that sound okay? Okay. 